0: good morning um i it was really interesting so this morning uh we had our men's growth group and so for the icebreaker one of the things that we were talking about was crazy weather stories uh, and as you guys know we've been going through the book of jonah we actually have a little bit of, a, of an interlude i'm not going to be in jonah today um but uh, you know it was tied into jonah and the fish and, and crazy weather and so we we're talking about crazy weather stories and so i actually had to pulled back, I gave a little bit of a different answer because the weather story that was top of mind for me uh, was a a weather challenge that my family just very recently went through. And so I'm going to talk about that a little bit today. And so what we'll do, again, we're going to take a little bit of a break from Jonah. We're going to be in Romans. We're going to touch Genesis a little bit just to hear about Abraham. Uh, But what's fascinating is, and of course, God, we know God works this way. There are so many parallels to a lot of what Pastor Sim has been talking about in the book of Jonah and so it would be really neat um, to be able to see that. One of the other things that I was also thinking about as we were singing uh, is that my font size is too small. Um, so hopefully you guys will be able to, to see everything there. But, um, but as we get into things, so this uh, over, over winter vacation, uh, my family and I went to Utah. And so we did some skiing out in Utah. And we were coming back this past week. And so our flight path was going from Salt Lake City through Minneapolis to Indianapolis. We were flying on Delta. And so um, we, wanted, we, we ran into some problems. We ran into some travel problems and some weather-related problems as we were going through. And it made me think about, for, for those of you who remember uh, the movie Dumb and Dumber, uh, there's, there's a kind of a line in there. I think Lloyd, I think his name's Lloyd, uh, has this line. So you're saying there's a chance. As we, were, as we were preparing for this, before we left Salt Lake City, Delta had reached out to me to say, hey, you're going to have some potential travel issues. We're forecasting weather problems in Minnesota, and you're flying through Minneapolis. And so if you want to choose a different flight, and, and you guys, have, we, we've all seen this uh, here over the past couple of years, you can change your flight. We're not even going to charge you for it, um, but you know, that might be something that you want to consider. And so, you know, I get this notification from them, and I start thinking about that. But there's, like, only three things in life that I'm any good at. One of them is, is travel. So I fly a lot. This is—I I fly a ton of Delta, okay? And so this is my, my little uh, status thing for Delta. You know how if you're really vain, you look at the mirror on a regular basis? I almost never look at the mirror. You might be able to tell that from my appearance— but I look at this thing a lot. Um, so it is, it is kind of, admittedly, probably one of my, my idols. I fly a lot of Delta, and I'm very comfortable traveling. I'm very comfortable navigating airports. I'm very comfortable navigating flight disruptions. And so you know, I think through this, and I'm like, you know what? I think we'll be OK. And so I start mapping out, so what's going to happen? And I called Delta, and I talked to kind of a, you know, one of the representatives. And so we mapped out some different options. We were on this flight. Uh, it was forecasting that we were going to be a little bit delayed, which was going to make it really, really tight to make our connection we had We had two minutes to make our connection, but I knew what gate we were coming in at, and knew we were just going out a couple of gates over. there was a backup flight that you know all, all these things, and so I mapped this all out and and I was feeling pretty good about that so we're we're going into this situation and um, this is this is what was happening in Minneapolis. This article was actually written um, a few days after, so it's kind of in retrospect. Uh, huge January snowstorm, among the largest on records. Uh, kind of in, in the smaller font, they got 15 inches over a three-day period. It was one of the largest since 1884. Now, w- we didn't know that exactly at the time, right, because this is in retrospect, but they were forecasting that it was, was going to be really bad. The other thing that we didn't realize... Uh, as we were going through this, is that because it was all this snow and it it was um, icy, um, so they were having some trouble with the runways. And so in addition to all of the snow, um, this article came up over the past couple days. And so this occurred uh, the day that we were flying into Minneapolis. This was not our plane, uh, but one of the Delta planes that was um, coming in slid off the taxiway at Minneapolis after landing. Now, one of the things that happens when there's snow... Um, at an airport so airports have multiple runways right and so that's how they're handling this kind of huge volume of planes but when there's a lot of snow they have to plow off the runways and so typically what they'll do is they'll alternate so instead of you know let's say I, i think minneapolis might have four runways or something like that instead of running four runways simultaneously they might be running two runways and plowing the other two while Planes are in and out of of the first two. And so that, first of all, creates some delays, right? Because you're congesting all the planes onto a couple of runways. Well, if you only have two runways, and then a plane slides off one of them, that plane slid off and got stuck in a ditch, that shuts down that runway as well. So it further compounds the problem. And so there's all these things that are going on. And, and here I am, and I'm, I'm calling Delta, right? And I have my status, and so I can call into this secret number, and I'm talking to some experienced agent, and I'm trying to reroute us through all these kind of different options with all of this weather and planes sliding off runways, all of this going on kind of sim- simultaneously. And so it made me think a lot about this movie, Dumb and Dumber. So in this movie, there's a guy, Jim Carrey, is playing a guy, I think his name's Lloyd, um, and then this gal, her character name is Mary. And Lloyd really likes Mary, really likes Mary. Mary doesn't really like Lloyd so much, okay? And so I felt a little bit like Lloyd kind of going through this. And so hopefully this this clip will play for us here. What are my chances? Not good. You mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say... More like one out of a million. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> yeah! So that's Lloyd. He thinks he thinks there's a chance. And I was thinking that we still had a chance. We could still make this thing, right? This was on Tuesday. We were supposed to get home Tuesday around 6 or 7 p.m., Uh, here Eastern Time. We did not make it Tuesday, 6 or 7 p.m. Eastern Time. We ended up spending the night in Minneapolis, um, kind of unannounced, found a hotel room. Um, Across that time frame, we had, I was trying to do the math, we had five different flights that got delayed. We have five different flights that got canceled on us. So we kept bouncing around, changing. I was exploring, going to Cincinnati, going to Chicago, driving uh, our way home. Uh, Eventually, Uh, we had to, we had to split up because I was going to a conference, um, the, the next day, and so I, I abandoned my family in Minneapolis, they made it home eventually Wednesday night, um, and I went to Vegas, and so eventually we got there, um, but it was, it was not the way that I was expecting it to work, and so there were two things that I was thinking about, and of course it was very timely, I had already started working on this sermon, um, uh. And so it was, in some sense, maybe a a natural introduction. But it was interesting to think through, as I was working through this, who was I hoping in? I will tell you very clearly, I was hoping in myself. I was hoping in my experience and, and my expertise around travel. And what was I hoping for? And what I was hoping for was to make it home Tuesday night. That was the plan as early as kind of Monday when they had first notified me that there were going to be some challenges. I was, I was banking on, okay, how do I get me and my family home on Tuesday night, and how am I going to accomplish that? And what I would propose for us is that in, in both cases I was thinking about the wrong kinds of things, but I mean, this is something that we often do. In almost all situations, it ties back to Jonah. It also ties to Abraham. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about... That numbering didn't work really well. It should be one, two, three. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about uh, God's promise to Abraham. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story to kind of further highlight what our dependence looks like sometimes in situations where we don't have control. We saw this with Jonah as well when he's in the belly of the fish. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about something better and someone more. So we're going to spend most of our time in Romans, but to start, I just want to highlight for us um, the actual beginning for Abraham. And many of us know the story of Abraham and Isaac. That's what we're going to talk about. But God gives a promise, in, and it, in, this is in Genesis uh, 17, right? Uh, and so I'll just read this. God says to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarah. Her name will be Sarah. Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. Again, if, if, if you know the story, uh, Abraham had had this promise from God. He tried to take matters into his own hands, uh, had another son. With one of his servants, Ishmael. God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. Again, many of us are are familiar with this story. God approaches Abraham and says, uh, I will make you a man of many nations, right? Your children will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Um, And so this actually occurs 24 years before the passage we just read. We were in Genesis 17, but the initial promise from God occurs 24 years earlier. This is in Genesis 12. This is when the, the Lord first approaches Abram. Uh, again, he changed his name also from Abram to Abraham. Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. And so Abram went as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. So he's 75 years old, and God has told him that I will make you uh, into a great nation. In Genesis 17, he's 99. He talks about being 100 years old. The Bible says he's 99, so he's rounding up. And so 24 years later, still doesn't have a son. Not, not with Sarah, at least. And so he's taken matters into his own hands. And God reminds him of this promise and says, No, no, no. I told you I would make you into a great nation through Sarah. And so one year after Genesis 17... When Abraham is, in fact, 100 years old. The Lord was gracious to Sarah. The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. All right? And so we're going through this story. And again, we're very familiar with this. God has made a promise to Abraham. And though Abraham had some ups and downs, he did, by and large, have faith in God. And he had faith that God would provide a son. We, we see later on that after Isaac comes, uh, even there, uh, God challenges Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Abraham, at that point in time, is, is willing, is kind of following the steps to go through and do that. And so we see this, this issue of faith. So we're going to go back to this story now in Romans. Paul's talking about this, and we're going we're gonna to visit that. Before we do that, I want to share about a story from my own life that... Might be similar. You guys, I bet, have stories similar to the story that I'm going to talk about. My story, it's, it's timely. I always think about it uh, this time of year. Uh, this occurred uh, about 11 years ago, January 5th, 2012. January 5th, 2012, I took my wife to the emergency room at St. Vincent Carmel. Uh, she had been complaining of having headaches, kind of this migraine headache. And so we had taken her in like November uh, to the med check Uh, in Carmel, and, you know, we assumed it was like some sort of sinus infection, and the doctor said, yeah, probably some sort of sinus infection, had prescribed some antibiotics for her, she was taking the antibiotics, and was beginning to feel better, Um, but then when she stopped taking the antibiotics, she started feeling worse, and so, you know, she, she had this, so at this point in time, um, Lucy, we had, we had two children, Lucy was about two years old, Uh, Potter was eight months, something like that, uh, six months, And so uh, it was busy, right? Busy household. Uh, Allison was the primary caretaker. I was working, uh, and I remember, uh, looking back, just being a little bit frustrated, right? Like, oh, like, okay, so my wife is sick, and, like, that's annoying, and that doesn't feel good, but, like, I have to work, and, you know, yeah, can you just kind of, like, tough it up, and, like, you know, work work through all this. That's kind of what I had been thinking at the time. My my mom, uh, who's in town, had come over to help, because Allison was really just not feeling good. So my mom had come over to help one day um, in January. And that day, I was at work all day, and my mom called me in the afternoon. And she said, you know, I, th- I think something's wrong. I think you need to call the doctor because, like, Allison has, like, not even gotten out of bed, and she's, like, not eating. And, and again, I was like, oh, my mom, right? Moms are so alarmist. Well, what does she know? But, you know, mom asked me to call the doctor so fine, so I called the doctor. Uh, and I called the doctor and said, hey, you know, Allison's been... Um, you know, in, in bed, and, and, and so I had gotten home, and, and the doctor said, well, uh, you know, go to Allison and, like, check this, check this, and, and, the, and the one thing that was really concerning, so the doctor said, you know, have Allison touch her uh, chin to her chest, and she was, she, Allison was laying down in, in bed at that point in time, and, and she couldn't do it. She was like, she could move, like, it was, she moved, like, a couple centimeters is all she could move her, her chin, and so the doctor said, take her to the ER right now. And so that, that becomes very concerning, right? When the doctor says, take her to the ER right now. So so we took her to the ER, and they get her checked in. And so then the doctor, who's there in the ER, started talking to me about meningitis. Like, maybe Alison has meningitis. And so I start, like, Googling meningitis. And so I, I feel really bad. Like, oh, wow, like, maybe my wife has, has meningitis. And I was, like, telling her to tough it, tough it out. And, you know, i I'm feeling really bad about that. They went and did uh, a CAT scan. And, um, and so I... I I copied on here a journal entry. I wrote a journal entry about this uh, incident, and this is a couple of weeks after um, this, this particular situation. So I took Allison to the emergency room, thought it was a sinus infection, talked to Dr. Abels. Uh, Abels told us to go to the emergency room because it could be meningitis. Dr. Mar- Mary Healy at the emergency room had ran a CAT scan, and, and they came back with some very grim news. They came back and they said that Allison had a 4-centimeter mass in her left frontal lobe. And that we needed, to, we needed to go, they were going to transfer her to St. Vincent, Indianapolis uh, for an MRI, and they would go from there. And, and so it's one of those things, again, like, just, you have these memories, right? I, I remember sitting in the room in St. Vincent Carmel. Uh, I remember the doctor, I remember the nurse. I'm sitting there, Allison is uh, lying on the bed. I remember her telling me this. And, you know, it's one of those, like, wow, like, time slows down, out-of-body experiences, like, um, couldn't, couldn't really process everything that was going on. And so we ride in the ambulance. It's the only time I've ridden in an ambulance. So I ride in the ambulance with Allison down to St. Vincent, Indianapolis. They go and they, uh, they run an MRI. And a neurosurgeon comes back and, and tells me we have to operate immediately. So Allison's going to be having brain surgery within several hours uh, from that point in time. Uh, he tells me, he says, it's either a tumor or it's an infection. It's one of those two things. We don't know which one it is. We'll know once we open up her head, and, and we'll figure out, and, and then we'll go from there. But we have we have to do surgery immediately. And so this is like two or three a.m. at St. Vincent, Indianapolis. I remember calling uh, one of my one of my best friends, uh, James. Uh, maybe a couple of you will know James. James grew up here in town, attended this church. He's in Maryland at this point in time. I call him at two or three a.m. I wake him up. I say you you got to pray and you, you got to contact a bunch of people. I don't know what's going on something very serious with Allison. And uh, and so, you know, can, can you get everyone praying? I remember, again, have this memory of, of walking the, the hallways uh, at St. At Vincent, um, trying to figure out what's going on, reaching out, again, trying to contact people so, so that they'll pray. James did, in fact, end up reaching out to a, a bunch of people um, uh, because I, I, I know afterwards that a number of people were praying. As I'm going through this, We all have our defense mechanisms, right? And so my defense mechanism is is information and and data. And and so as I'm trying to think through this, I start researching tumors and infections. I I knew nothing, frankly, about either of these. And um, as you're researching it, one of the first things that pops up on WebMD is the two-year survival rates, uh, if you have a brain tumor and if you have a brain infection. Neither of them are, are great. And so... This is, my, this is my safety net, right? I, I started doing, okay, so what's what's my probability look like? And so I built out the probability tree that we all learned about in, in middle school, right? It is either a tumor or an infection. And if it's a tumor, my two-year survival rate is this. And if it's an infection, the two-year survival rate is that. And so you do the math. You do the multiplication. And when I did the multiplication, this was somewhat startling to me, the two-year survival rate for Allison was below 50%. That, that part got me very nervous, right? This idea of, like, if I flip a coin, like, the odds are not great that she'll make it a couple of years. And at that point in time, again, we had these these two young children. So, I, I again, I, I wasn't as concerned at that point in time, like, oh, how do I raise two kids on my own? I, I was thinking a lot about, oh, my, my kids won't remember her because they're so small, right? Lucy so, had just turned two. So that she would be four, um, you know, maybe when, when Allison passed, like, I don't remember anything from before four years old. Potter certainly would not have remembered her. And so that, that was incredibly uh, emotional for me to think through, like, oh. Because, like, they have so much fun with Allison, and, like, she, and she loves them so much. And, like, they would not remember, remember her at all. They have no memory. I remember thinking about that and becoming very emotional. Um, she goes into surgery. I go into the surgery waiting room. My, my dad's there, my sister was there, Justin and Grace were there. Uh, I remember falling into Justin's arms. And again, just, I, I, don't, I don't really know why, but just like all the emotion came out. I was weeping in his arms. And so we go through, a surgery uh, takes two or three hours. Um, and, and so then the, the neurosurgeon comes back and says, uh, it was an infection. Uh, we think we got most of it out. And so we're going to put her on antibiotics. We're going to see how she responds. Uh, it was, um, she, she had um, some seizures afterwards, kind of working through all that. But as you guys know, she survived. She survived well past two years. The infection was out. The antibiotics worked. It seemed like it cleared everything out. Um, went through rehab for a month or two. Uh, lost various motor functions, but um, virtually everything came back. And, and, and as you guys know, Allison is, is here with us. Around January of every year, Alice and I talk about this and kind of remember this. And I'm always a little bit bitter because honestly, she doesn't remember much. Um, like that, the whole incident, Like she, she, was, she was out of it. She actually doesn't even remember being at St. Vincent Carmel. Um, and of course, the kids don't remember. So I'm, I'm always bitter that I, I'm the only one that, that kind of remembered all, all this pain, right? Uh, but, but, you know, we, we get through all of this. And, and so this is one of those situations. And again, that, this is my story. And many of you have a story similar to this, right? Whether it's a health scare, whether it's a major issue, right? It, it, it could be even just like Abraham's story, right? Trying to have kids, right? We all have these different stories. And in this case, who are we hoping in? Well, I was hoping in in God. I was hoping in God. And it was one of those, and again, when we all run into these sort of experiences and situations, it's... um. It crystallizes for me, right? It didn't matter how smart I was, because I could do nothing to impact this. It didn't matter how smart the physician was, because they were going to open up her head, and it was going to be one thing or another, right? And and, and their intelligence, their skill, wasn't going to change that outcome. It didn't matter how much money I had; I could have given them my life's savings to say, "Make this better." It wasn't going to change what they did, and it wasn't going to help what they did. It didn't matter who I knew, right? Oh, like, let, let me figure out, let me find a better doctor. Let me find the most world-renowned neurosurgeon I can find. It wasn't going to change things, right? They were going to open up her head, and they were going to find what they found. It is what it is. And so in that sense, like, who are we hoping in? No, I was hoping in God because I had nothing else. When Jonah's in the belly of the fish, he's, he's praying to God because he has nothing else. Right, But the other question is, what are we hoping for? And, and in this situation, what I was hoping for is I was hoping for my wife to live. That's what I wanted. I was hoping for my wife to live. And as we think through things, and as we now turn over into Romans, I think that there's a challenge, even as we go through that story of Abraham, to continue to elevate our gaze beyond that. And so I'm going to read here in in Romans chapter 4, uh, verses 18 to 25. Paul revisits this story of Abraham, right? And this story of Abraham hoping against hope to have a kid at 100 years old. I want us to try and pay attention. As Paul retells it, who are we hoping in and what are we hoping for? And so here in the passage, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, And so became the father of many nations, just as as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead, she was about 90. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him, were written not for Abraham alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and was raised to life for our justification. In Romans, Paul uses this story of Abraham, and then he begins to expand on it, right? Abraham has faith. This is why it's credited to him as righteousness. He has faith because God tells him when he's 75 years old, I will make you the father of many nations. I'm going to give you a son through Sarah. He goes through 25 years, and it doesn't happen. And God says, no, it's still going to happen. It's still going to happen. And Abraham has faith. And so we think about that, and we say, wow, what an amazing story. Abraham had faith, and God gave him a son. And Stan was praying really hard, and Allison was okay. And you apply that to your own life, whatever that story is. This thing happened. And I prayed, prayed, prayed. Ooh, and God answered. And God's so good. And we and thank you, God. I love you, God, because, because you provided this for us. Right? And there's a little bit of a danger of going down this kind of Santa Claus God path of like, well, does, does God give me what I want? And and maybe it's an open situation. Maybe it's not even a past. Maybe it's a present situation. I'm praying about something here. And I know God's in control, and and, God's going to do what he's going to do, but but that's what I'm praying for. Who are we hoping in, right? That part, in many cases, in these life or death situations, in these big situations, it becomes very clear. Abraham believed believed in God and, and calls on us to believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. But what are we hoping for? And Paul elevates our gaze here. To whom God will credit righteousness. As Paul takes it, he takes that story of Abraham and he expands on it. And he says, Look, what are we really searching for? What are we really striving for? What do we really want and need? Because in the story of, in Romans, as Paul focuses on it, it's righteousness. It wasn't for Abraham to have a kid. And it wasn't for Allison to survive past two years. There is a temptation for me when I look back on my story of like, oh, wow, Allison made it past two years. That's fantastic. Every year that I have past two years is a blessing. And so we should take advantage of that. I should, I should take advantage of life. I should appreciate life. We should live life to the fullest, right? Because this is a year that on a different flip of a coin, maybe we don't have. And so, wow, we should really um, embrace that. And, and that's true. Of course, 100%. That's true, and that's good, and there's all this validity to it. But there's so much more that Paul would point us to, remind us about, that God is calling us to. And he makes that very clear as we continue to go through the book of Romans, right? So that's in Romans 4 and in Romans 5. Not only is it so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, right? So Paul continues to remind us, Who are we putting our hope in? In Romans, later on in Romans 5. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Who are we putting our hope in? He continues in Romans 6. We are therefore buried with him through baptism, buried with Jesus through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too, may live a new life. What are we hoping for? He continues in Romans 7:4. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. What are we hoping for? And so I think there's this really kind of useful challenge for us. It goes all the way even to the story of Jonah, Right? Jonah's in the belly of a fish. He has no options, and so he prays to God. Pastor Sim was telling us last week, this is the first recorded time in Jonah where, where Jonah's praying. Initially, Jonah has this bright idea. I'm going to go the other way. Just like Stan might have a bright idea. Hey, I know Delta. I can, I can, get, I can get our family home, right? And then when, when all the other options are gone, we start to reach out to God. That's kind of a human weakness, right? We wait until we have, we have no, other, no other choice what are we hoping for? And so Jonah, maybe he, probably, I assume, if I'm in issues, wants to get out of the belly of the fish. But it's more than that. The story is not that Jonah gets out of the belly of the fish. The story is that Jonah goes to Nineveh to preach to Nineveh, to convict the people of Nineveh and for himself to grow in his faith and to realize that, yeah, I need to follow God. The story of Abraham is not just That he has a kid at age 100. That is an amazing story, and there's a lot to learn from that. But the story for Abraham is he becomes a father of many nations. There is a faith where Abraham can, can be a child of God through faith, not through circumcision. Circumcision is a sign of faith later on, right? That's the story that God's pointing to, and the story for us as we're wrestling in these different situations When you look back on on ways that God has delivered, or when you think about, hey, here's what I'm praying about now, here's the relationship that I'm praying about right now, oh, I'm praying so hard, here's the challenge that I'm praying about right now, the career challenge, the family challenge, I want to have children, I have kids, and I'm I'm struggling with them, right? Yes, we're, we're praying in that, and yes, we're seeking out God because there's really no other option. And yes, God will be at work in those situations, but how do we elevate our gaze beyond that, right? In order that we might bear fruit for God. That the story of faith is not just faith that God may or may not give us what we want, but it's a story of faith that says, who is the God that we believe in and what does he do? At the end of the day, the story of God is that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins and that one man could pay the price For all of our sins and and offer us eternal life. That's the power. The power is not to get out of the belly of a whale. That is power, and that's awesome. The power is not to have a kid at age 100. That is power, and that's cool. But the power is so much more than that. God's promise and calling are so much more than that. And so I think my encouragement, my challenge for us, is to continue to think about not only who are we hoping in, but also what are we hoping for? And and, and as we walk through life, and as we inevitably deal with earthly situations that we're praying about, and we should be praying about, and God does work in those things, may those things remind us, may those things continue to elevate our gaze, that boy, if God can be at work in this, that is just a glimpse of what ultimately God calls us to. To be able to have a life of righteousness, forgiven by him, justified by him, and now being sanctified to continue to grow in Christ-likeness. That's the reminder. That's what he calls us to. That's what we should be hoping for. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come before you and we continue to thank you and praise you. We continue to acknowledge that you are a mighty God and that you do amazing things. And that we could look back and and see stories in our own lives of times when you've done amazing things. We can look ahead and be hopeful for amazing things that you might do. But all of that pales in comparison, Lord, to the ultimate calling. That is, your forgiveness and our justification and sanctification through Christ. The ability to live with you in eternity and to continue to seek out after you right now. And so I pray, Lord, that you would continue to open our eyes And soften our hearts to remind us of that truth, of that importance, um, that we would be seeking you out in that regard. And that through your grace and through your strength, we can live a life of righteousness that is so much greater and so much more valuable and so much more important than the earthly issues that we get consumed by. Thank you, Lord, for that uh, and for your power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.